why mom and dad had a lever, but it had to be done so that the sickness could be taken away. Well, in a very similar way, Jesus says, we find Jesus saying, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The father had to abandon the son. And it was necessary for things to get better that way. It had to happen so that, as these four have confessed, so that our sins could be taken away. It had to happen so that we could avoid going through forever what Jesus endured for his people on the cross for a time. And that's why believing in Christ is so important. That's why this is such a celebratory time, but it's, it's a very important time. The necessary thing. Because uh, why believing in Christ is so important, uh, that's why it should be no trouble for us to live for Jesus then either. I mean, I was just thinking about this, about how you know we're, we're confessing Jesus as being so important, but also we find in this, as we're looking at, we're looking at this passage, it reminds us then that it should be no trouble for us then to not only believe in Jesus when we think about what he went through, but also to live for him. To live for him. To be mindful of that. Because nothing that we will ever have to go through in life, nothing, will ever compare with what Jesus had to go through for us. Nothing. And you can count on the fact then that Jesus will never forsake you no matter what you go through. And that's certainly part of why you profess Christ in the first place. We're going to try to plumb at least some of the to get to the depths of what it means for Jesus to be forsaken by God. We're looking at two simple points this morning. One is that uh, we see it in the darkness, and the other we see it in the words of Christ. Uh, we see it in what Jesus says, we see it in what we see in the surrounding area. We see it in the sign of the darkness, we see it in the words of Christ. Uh, first of all, we see it in the, the darkness, in the sign. We see it in the sign. The gospel writers, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they all mention the darkness that struck the land during the time of Jesus' crucifixion. And it happened from the sixth hour to the ninth hour, which would have been noon hour till three, time when you expect it to be as light as ever. Now, not only do we hear when and how long the darkness hung, but also where. Mark tells us that the darkness hung over the whole land, and uh, that probably meant the land of Judea or Palestine. People try to explain how that darkness occurs, and they come up with they try to come up with all kinds of understandings about why it happened. But whatever the way, it was God's way. It was God's timing. And given that textual description, Mark makes it out to be inexplicable. It's inexplicable. 
This isn't something that is normal. He doesn't speak about natural occurrences. Darkness comes because God wants it to come. God is speaking with the darkness. And what's interesting about that, about this point, is Jesus is, is in Jesus' crucifixion, is that up until this point of darkness, the powers of darkness seem to have their way with Christ. They're taunting, they're mocking, they have a lot to say. But during this period of darkness, they have little to say. It's God's turn to speak. And the silence of the mockery indicates a, a sense of terror that has come upon the people as this darkness has appeared on the scene. Well, what is this darkness? Why does it happen? Why does it happen now? What does that have to do with us? Well, when you think about darkness in the Bible, right, it reminds you a lot of different things, right? You might be thinking, if, if you're familiar with your Bibles, you might be thinking about how it reminds you of the plague of darkness that fell upon Egypt, Right? Or one of, the ten, uh, one of the ten plagues that way during the time of the Exodus, time of Moses. <laughs> that plague, of course, was a plague of judgment upon Egypt, wasn't it? For not responding to God's call to free the people of God from their bondage. Also, all the way back to creation, we remember that darkness was over the surface of the deep. One of the very first things you read about in the Bible. Darkness is one of those things, biblically speaking, that we usually associate with evil. We say God is light, and with him there is no darkness at all. And that's true. But another way to look at darkness is to see, see it devoid of God's fellowship. When we think about hell, when we think about being apart from God, when we think about not knowing the direction that we're supposed to be going, the Bible speaks about darkness. You were once darkness, the scriptures say, but now you are light in the Lord. And therefore, as children of light, lives light. Right? You've had this change been, that has been made to you, so live like you are. Don't live like you were. Live like you are. You're a holy nation, a royal priesthood. You're called to declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. To be in darkness then is to be without God. To be without mercy. To be under his wrath, to be his enemy, to be under his judgment, to know his curse. You, you don't want to be caught in the darkness when Christ returns on the clouds of glory. You, you don't want to be caught in the darkness when you die. You don't want to be caught in the darkness while you live. I mean, it, it's, it's foolish anyway, it has its consequences anyway, but... To live and die in this darkness is to live and die under the curse and the wrath and the judgment of God. But now we read that darkness has fallen on the land. That's covering a great expanse. It's not just at Golgotha, it's not just at Calvary, but it's 
covering the land. Well, why is that? Judgment is coming. Darkness is falling where, where God's people are residing. And that's a fulfillment of prophecy. Now, we could get into a lot of different scriptures, and time wouldn't permit us to do that as far as dealing with those prophecies from the Old Testament. But a couple of verses for sure that we could read uh, come to us uh, in the latter parts in the minor prophets. Uh, when you get, and we're just, what we're going to do is we're just going to take a quick look at Amos, a couple of verses there, and uh, that speak to this. And in the context of judgment, we get down to uh, verse 18 there. And uh, in chapter 5 of Amos, and it says, uh, Woe to you who desire the day of the Lord. Why would you have the day of the Lord? It is darkness and not light. As if a, a man fled from a lion and a bear met him, or went into the house and leaned his hand against the wall, and a serpent bit him. Is not the day of the Lord darkness and not light and gloom with no brightness in it? And one other verse out of Amos 8, verse 9, again, talking about this judgment. It says that there, it says, And on that day, declares the Lord God, I will make the sun go down at noon and darken the earth in broad daylight. God is going to pour out his vials of wrath in judgment. You know, if, if you're judged, if you are caught in doing something wrong, right? If the cop catches you, or your teacher catches you, or your parents catch you, boys and girls, or your friends, or even your enemies, that might bring about a bit of fear. Some people don't get afraid about anything, unfortunately. People can be very defiant, but uh, it can cause some anxiety. It can cause some fear when you're caught and about to be judged. Well, what must it be like when the anger of God is poured out justly for the sins of his people? It's a dreadful thing to fall into the hands of of an angry God. Okay, but then why aren't the people struck down here if there is this darkness? Why are they not consumed if, if this darkness is God coming in judgment and wrath and vengeance? Well, it's there all right. It's all there. Judgment is being carried out. Judgment for every single sin that God's people have committed. The secret and the public. The ones you wish nobody would know about. And the ones that people do. The breaking of the first, the breaking of the tenth, and anyone in between. The sins of the people of the old covenant. The sins of the people of the new covenant. Not just the sins of for the present, but for the past, for the future, it's all there. Judgment is being laid on Jesus Christ. And he's taking all the judgment of his people upon himself. 
And that's why the people aren't consumed. And that's why the darkness comes, but then it also passes away. So that light can return. That's why the people can continue to live and they can hear the call to live for the, the, the only one who has taken the darkness upon himself for their sake. Jesus Christ doesn't deserve the darkness. We do. We don't deserve to live. We don't deserve the light. In our nature, we think we do. We think we deserve all the good things of life and more of what our culture teaches us. And if we don't get them, then we'll complain and we'll bellyache till we get them and we'll scream and stamp our feet until we get them. But we deserve the darkness and judgment. That's what we deserve. You know, a lot of times you hear people saying stuff like that, right? You, know, you deserve to have this and that done. You deserve to have this and this and that happening to you. You deserve those things. You, you enjoy those things. And it's all right to enjoy those things. But what we really ultimately deserve is darkness and judgment. That's what we deserve. And, and, and that's what we have and that's what we'll get if we don't turn from our darkness and see Jesus as the only way out of it. If we have been enlightened like that, though, then this passage reminds us, doesn't it, to be grateful to God. To be grateful to God. That we don't have to live in that darkness anymore. Or act like we're in the darkness anymore. You've got to be grateful for that. That we get to live in God's light. Because Christ endured the darkness for us. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Even, even though these words are spoken both in Mark, Matthew and Mark's gospel, they're, they're only words from the cross that Mark chose to pen. They're the only ones. We see the darkness, we see the words. It can be easy to misunderstand the cry because that's what these people did. They say to themselves, he's calling for Elijah. A lot of times in Mark that we hear Mark telling everybody about what Jesus is saying in his native tongue, which was Aramaic. And this is one of them. Eloi, Eloi, Lemon, Sabachthani. He calls for Elijah. That's what they figured. There was a popular belief that there were critical moments in people's lives when people would call for Elijah. Because he'd rescue people in such critical times for whatever reason. So, so someone gets wine vinegar for Jesus to sustain him. So that mockingly they can sit back and, and watch to see if Elijah's going to come. Of course, Elijah had already come in the person of John the Baptist. But those mocking don't grasp the importance of Jesus' words. They figure he's delirious, and, and they mock the words of this one, this righteous sufferer, who truly who was truly the only one who had the right to say, why me? The, the only one. And we can be tempted to complain to God that, that we've been unjustly treated. Why me? Some people's lives are that way. They live their whole life. Why me? 
We're victims of injustice. We need activists for everything under the sun. We hire advocates for every cause imaginable. Everything under the sun is dragged into a court of law. Everyone's a victim. While taking personal responsibility is elusive. By nature, we're like the man who came to Jesus and said, Master, make my brother split the inheritance with me, because we deserve better. I deserve better. People live their lives like they've had a raw deal all their life. Everybody's against them. And in darkness, what, what, what ends up happening is that in darkness, we forget how little we deserve. That all that we have, the very fact that we're living and moving and having our being, we ought to die. And all that we have is but given by his benevolent hand. And we forget that by grace, we are who we are, if grace we know. But how quickly we forget that, that, that there's only one who really deserves to cry out, why me? In the depths of the darkness, Jesus cries out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The first three words of the cross, Jesus emphasizes other people. Or others. Father, forgive them. Today you will be with me in paradise. Behold, your mother and your son. But now, why me? My God, why me? It's not a cry of pain. Jesus is crying out because the payment for sin as the righteous one is so intense. He becomes sin for us who knew no sin so that we might become the righteousness of God. Cursed is he who hangs on the tree. Surely he has borne our griefs. He's carried our sorrows. But we considered him stricken by God, smitten by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him. And by his wounds, we are healed. The Lord laid on him the iniquity of us all. Christ was drinking the cup of Gethsemane. The cup of God's wrath for the sins of his people. Can, you, can it pass by me? Abba, Father. Can it pass by me? If not, your will be done. Not mine. Yours. Christ was being abandoned like the scapegoat was abandoned in the desert to purify his people. Jesus undergoes hell for his people. He's forsaken by God. The Father would not have left him if it wasn't necessary, but it was necessary so that for those in Christ Jesus, there would no, no longer be any condemnation, and that's what a profession of faith tells you. In Christ, I am no longer condemned. And I'm going to live like that's true. You want to know the consequences of sin? Oh, you can look at the brokenness of homes. You can look at impoverishment and disease and death and distrust and hatred and perversity and shame when we do something really dumb. 
And those are all part of it. Because we reap what we sow. But, but if you want to know what the consequences of sin are really, ultimately, we look at the cross. If you want to know what a life of unbelief leads to, look at the cross. If you want to know what it takes to set the sin of your life aside, you look at the cross. If you think that sin in your life is a trivial thing, eh, who cares? Life, you know, we just do what we want. It's a light matter. Really? Look at the cross. And hear the cry of him who knew no sin and yet became it. See, if, if these words don't make a difference in our lives, in what we believe and how we live. Right? That's what these four just said, that they, would, that they said that was true about them. They know what Christ did for them. They know what they need to believe. They know how they need to live. It makes a difference, right? If you don't know, if it doesn't make a difference in what you believe or how you live when you hear these words, then if we don't do that, then we're no different than the people who said, let it be, let's see if Elijah comes to save him. We haven't understood the depths of Christ's sacrifice for sin and how serious sin is in our lives. Just don't. One of the forms in our church happened to say, Christ was forsaken so that as believers we might never be forsaken by God. Never. See, that's why, that's why Christians don't have to say, why me? Because Christ said that for us. And he was forsaken, so we wouldn't have to be, ever. Ever. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Ever. Sins forgiven, a pathway to walk that's straight, and a reason to serve me with gratitude. That could only happen because Christ takes the darkness away. Christ takes on the darkness of God's judgment, and he bears it to depths that we can't even plumb. And so, may God help us all, one way or another, from misunderstanding Christ's pride. And that we could take joy then in Him taking our darkness away. And that we might then at the same time take sin seriously in our lives. Not trivialize it. Avoid it. Run away from it. Instead, serve our God wonderfully. Because we know what it took for Christ to take our sin and our darkness away from us. And we know it by what he said. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Amen.
Let's respond in 